Hello and welcome to the Road to the Garden podcast. I'm Matt St. Jean, joined here by Tommy Godin, as always, and our special guest, our Georgetown writer, Zach Penrice. Welcome to the show, Zach. Matt, Tommy, good to be with you. It's, uh, it's you know, been a tumultuous season, but uh, happy to finally join you guys to talk a little Georgetown hoops. Yeah, that we wanted to, to find some time in here to talk about where Georgetown is in a little bit of detail. And with a game against DePaul Thursday night coming up, this felt yeah. like the perfect time to, to dive into it. We are going to be talking about that. Before we do that, we're going to hit you with some instant reactions here right after the mic'd up game between Xavier and St. John's. Xavier won 84 to 79. We're going to talk about the Nova UConn game from earlier, some other biggies news, and look ahead. Uh, that's what we got on tap for you guys. And obviously, plenty of Georgetown content in here. Uh, before we do that, just a couple reminders. First, we've teamed up with SeatGeek this season to get you the best deals for tickets to your favorite teams. SeatGeek takes the confusion out of buying tickets, and they're here to give you some great deals. Get in on the fun and head over to SeatGeek, download their app, and use code NCAA Hoops Digest for $20 off your first purchase. Also, this podcast is presented by House Enterprise in partnership with House of College Hoops. Head over to our site, house-enterprise.com. For more info, that's where you're going to find all of our writings with uh, Zach putting out some great content for all of the DMV sports, not just Georgetown. He's got you covered for everything there, so go check out his stuff and all of our other stuff there. I think we should get into this this game tonight, the one that we are instantly reacting to, the one that just happened. I want Zach, I want to start with you here because I want your first thoughts on just the mic'd up part of this and on Mike Anderson and Sean Miller as coaches. Yeah, I mean, well, it's a great idea from the Big East, right, and from Fox to, to do something like this where it's almost like an NFL red zone situation. You hardly go to commercial. Everyone's mic'd up. It's a great idea. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think like we were kind of talking about a little bit off the air before the show, I mean, the vast contrasts of these coaches and, and kind of how they were managing their huddles and how they were talking to their teams um, was pretty eye-popping and pretty – Pretty surprising, but also at the same time, not so surprising. Um, I mean, Sean Miller's second stint with Xavier, um, you know, putting plugging his players into positions to be successful. And, like, you look at a team like Xavier, I mean, they're the best team in the country at sharing the basketball and assists per game. They're number one, and they play like it. And so that's, that's just a recipe for success. And so they come out on top again tonight, and, I mean, easily one of the more dangerous teams in the Big East. There's no question. Yeah. Yeah, Tommy, I, I, you had a thought there? Yeah, I'm just looking over the scores for these games, and I just want to take a second, going completely off topic, just bear with me <laughs> for one minute. I was looking for the final Xavier and St. John's. I stumbled across the Gonzaga score. Did you guys see that? No. Yeah. Matt, they won 120 to 42. Against who? Uh, Eastern Oregon. Do they play the same yeah. conference as Portland Bible? <laughs> Dude, you have to imagine. I'm sorry. I was I, I have all these notes down. I, I was following <laughs> along in that game, the stat broadcast, but that just took me back a second. Good. No, that's <laughs> the that's the largest win in Gonzaga history. They're saying that today. Wow. Mm-hmm. Poten- potential future Big East school of Gonzaga. <laughs> yeah. No wonder yeah, but the- Drew Timmy's in the player of the year conversation for the last decade. But um, yeah, this Xavier St. John's game, it looked like St. John's was trying to like hand Xavier the win and Xavier just didn't want it. They were up by 18 at one point. I love the mic'd up idea so much better than the like NFL red zone type thing that they tried out in the beginning of the year. But yeah, um, I, I think we found out exactly what we knew about both of these teams just reaffirmed in this game. Yeah. I think it's a big picture here. I think it's awesome that the big East is at the forefront of innovation when it comes to broadcasting here. And this is something, if you go back to the history of the big East, when they first got, were with ESPN in the eighties and nineties, they were trying new stuff. They were at the forefront of it. And now here we are again. And it's, they do the red zone style stuff at the start of the year. They have this mic'd up segment, which has been a running thing for years now we now have the Christmas Day game, which we can talk about that in a little bit, but the ratings on that came back. It looked fantastic. And 
they're trying new things and it's it's working i mean I, with the state of some of the programs in the big east right now it's you're not going to get the same media draw you would have 10 years ago for these teams so they're finding ways to get eyes on the game and i i love that and these are also great things i mean mic'd up is great for social media there's gonna be clips all over the place from this maybe not as great for mike anderson in his hopes of keeping this job after this year with how st john's is looking at this point and the way he was looking coaching that team that did not look like a coach in control and that look he, he looked like he was getting outclassed just in the way he was managing the team all night long yeah i love everything that fox is doing except for their uh nascar raceway segment that they do <laughs> on the weekends before the game starts but um, yeah, I, Fox has been amazing. I'm so glad that we have them instead of some of these other networks. I didn't watch a ton of this one. I watched a little bit of the beginning, but um, this is just so good for not only the Big East, but uh, like you said, on social media, just getting that Fox logo out there, getting the Big East logos out there. It's it's so good for the conference. Yeah. Yeah, and this is uh, – it was not a defensive game. Xavier wins 84 to 79. Uh, that's not how either of these teams are going to win this year, which has been a trend in the Big East, kind of a, a surprise. It's a very offensive conference this year. Jack Nungy, 23 points and 11 rebounds. He was dominant. David Jones for St. John's had double-double, too. He had 19 and 10. Sule Boom continued to play incredibly well. He had 17 points. He also had six assists there. Uh Colby Jones had seven points, six rebounds, four assists, kind of doing a little bit of everything there. And uh, Zach Fremantle, he also was was doing stuff. He had 14 points, nine rebounds, almost a double-double for him. No double-double for Joel Soriano, who is the, the leader in the country in that this year. And Wow. St. Yeah, John's now one and two to start Big East play. Still no real good wins on this resume. What do we make of their chances looking forward after this? Is there a game against Seton Hall this weekend a must-win? Yeah, like the Villanova-Marquette game, this St. John-Seton Hall game this weekend, I feel like is a matchup of two teams that are in very similar positions. Not must-wins mm-hmm. yet, but I, I think that these would be huge wins for uh, in, in both these games. But St. John's is, is trending down. To be honest with you, they haven't looked good in conference play or really when they play any good teams. So a win at a gritty Seton Hall team would go a long way for this program. Yeah, that'll be it. We're going to talk about that one in a little bit. Um, let's talk about the other game that happened here tonight. Very briefly, Villanova at UConn. Villanova hung around in this one. But UConn ends up getting it done. Their first win by less than 10 points this year only got to 10 points for a 10 point lead for UConn for about, I think, 20 seconds there in the second half 74 to 66. Seven points for Sonogo, only six for Klingon. And yet UConn able to win. Tommy, I know you're, you're the Villanova coverage here. I want to hear your thoughts on what happened in this game. Yeah, just like Joey California last game, it's just. When Sonogo or Klingon doesn't have it going, this UConn team is so good, so deep that someone steps up. And tonight it was a little bit of Jackson. Um, Tristan Newton looked good in the little bit of time that he was in there. Uh, But, yeah, I mean, this is – I hate all this moral victory bullshit. Excuse my language. This is is, uh, uh, Road to the Garden after dark. It's (laughs) 11-15, but – I hate all the moral victory stuff. I really do. But this really was a a big silver lining for Villanova. I mean, they had 18 turnovers. That's very uncharacteristic. Five of 22 from three. That's not them either. So I think that if they can clean up some of that stuff or maybe adjust them more away from being a team that nobody wants to see in March Madness, if we can make it there. Yeah, that's the big question. Zach, from uh, from your view from the nation's capital up I-95 to Philly and uh, up to Connecticut there, what's your perspective on this one? 100% agree with Tommy. Um, Villanova is 7-6. and six. They don't look like a team that's 7-6. and six. Um, They, they, they got to be the scariest team that's one game over 500 in the whole country. Um, and, I mean, a team like UConn has had a couple of scares 
um, to kind of get started and get the ball rolling in Big East play. I mean, Georgetown had a seven-point lead on him in the second half last week. Yeah, they are tonight. Villanova was within two with, what was it, four or five minutes to go. And so um, it's been tighter since UConn has started Big East play. I got to say, UConn being 14-0, the Big East having an undefeated team and the number two team in the country is good for the conference. Um, and Villanova being good for the being good is also good for the conference. And this yeah. Nova team is good. And seven and six does not do justice to where they're going to be come March. I think they're going to be dancing and they're going to be a team no one wants to see. Completely agree with that. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Like, obviously, there's no moral victories, but also Villanova moved up in Ken Palm tonight. They moved up from 53 to 50 with that performance, and UConn stayed still. I think for the Big East as a whole, that's huge too because the non-conference was not great. So if you want to get more teams into the tournament, you have to just have teams play better. You have to have close games, close wins, close losses, all that stuff. And you also might need a couple teams – jumping on the heads of the guys at the bottom of the conference here and padding these resumes a little bit with some big wins. Uh, but I mean, this is Villanova looks really good right now, better than the team we saw a month ago. And UConn kind of, I agree that they're not trailing off, but this is not the same UConn team we saw at Phil Knight either. They're not playing quite at that level. They're still really good. This is still probably the best team in the country. If I had to give a vote, but they're going to have a test this week. They play at Xavier later in the week. So that'll, that'll come back at the end here when we look ahead to the games. Uh, the only other the only other game we had since the last time we talked to you was Seton Hall at Marquette. Another loss for Seton Hall. They're 0-3 to start Big East play here. Marquette with another win. This game was never really felt that competitive, especially in the second half. I don't, I don't know what you guys think about this one, but I, don't, I think it just kind of, to me, it reinforced what we already knew about both teams. Yeah, this is – you go back, you listen to the last two or three episodes, this is the Seton Hall team I was talking about when I said that they they have the coach, they have the foundation to put it together, maybe not this year, but in the coming years, this is what I was talking about. I mean, the first half was very up and down. There were a lot of runs. Um, Omax and Oso got into foul trouble. Uh, Kolick had an off night, which – off night for him is still eight assists and no turnovers. So um, this was a very comfortable win for Marquette. I, I like that Seton Hall went down without a fight until Marquette put their starters back in, to be fair. But they were fighting till the end, and, and that's a, a testament to Shaheen Holloway and his staff. Yeah, I think that, I mean, what Marquette looks like in year two under Shaka – I feel like is what Seton Hall could look like in year two under Shaheen. Um, they're kind of a surprise in the Big East. Um, they're young and they can play. And so I think that they're going to be a team that's kind of on that bubble fringe probably throughout the year, honestly. Um, they're the kind of team that wouldn't surprise me at all if UConn goes in there to Milwaukee and loses. That's the kind of team that this kind of, that, that, that Marquette has. So, um, yeah, I mean, like you guys said, nothing really new in, in this one. I think Marquette was clearly the better team and they looked like it. And uh, Marquette has not lost a home game in regulation since playing UConn in their home Big East opener last year. It's been that long at five serve. This UConn schedule coming up includes a game at Xavier. It includes a game at Providence. It includes a game at Marquette and a home game against Creighton. That's the next four for the Huskies. So big picture there. It's a, there's a rough slate for them. We're going to find out a lot about what they're made of, a lot about what Marquette is made out of. Um, and yeah, Seton Hall, that is 0-3, you can recover from it. But the way they're playing, they need they need to hit another gear here to, to be anything other than an eighth or a ninth place team in the Big East, I think. Yep. The only other note we got coming into this before we talk Georgetown, I want to talk about that Christmas game for a second. This was, uh, I believe, the most watched game on um, most watched game on any network this season had the most viewers on Fox for a college hoops game ever. 2.99 million of viewers as Creighton took down DePaul. Did you guys tune into this one? I did what I think about 2.98 of the 2.99 million <laughs> other viewers did is I was on the East coast and we were watching the football game. When the football game was over, we went to go eat dinner soon as we ate dinner, we never changed the channel. We came back. We said, why the hell is this game on TV? And then we <laughs> turned it off. So, yeah, I, I did watch this game, but it, it wasn't on purpose. I can assure you that. 
I had it on. Yes, that's just the Omaha native in me, um, and the, the lifelong fan <laughs> in me had it on. But it was, I guess, more so background noise than anything else. Um, but I, I gotta say, the biggest takeaway, especially after those ratings came out, I mean. Creighton was all over this from the jump as far as wanting to get in on the ground floor with a Christmas standalone game. They got their wish. and I guarantee you every other Big East school wishes they had the same idea. Um, the only question is, you know, the do you want to say morality around having college athletes play on Christmas Day? <laughs> um, but it's, is, Especially in a, in a conference that prides itself on religiosity and being Catholic yeah, schools. It's yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> there's, there's plenty of time to still do your religious stuff and, and play a play yeah. some hoops as well. I, I guess could be the counter argument, but yeah. um, no, I mean, I've just seen those ratings. I guarantee you the likes of, of Villanova, Xavier, UConn, everybody in the conference wants a piece of that. And it's going to, it could be a fight next year to, to have that standalone game. If there is one. Well, and I think I look at this and what's going on next year. Christmas is on a Monday next year, which means you can do more than a standalone game. You can put multiple games in that if you want. You're not going to have to go up against football, which may be a deterrent here because you're not going to get people who just don't change the channel and end up. Um, they're, they're not, they're not going to end up just sticking around to watch your thing, but also you can kind of claim it and make it a big East tradition that you get one or two games on Christmas every year and you make it a fun thing, like, like football on Thanksgiving. So uh, we'll see. I, I think UConn feels like a prime candidate for this going forward, being the only non-religious school in the conference. I feel like they might be very willing to step into that window I think Creighton might want to stake claim on this as one of their things. I think you might see this go from an experimental thing with just two random Big East teams to we're going to put a primetime game in this window next year. I think it, the fact that it did well opens up a ton of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I'd like to see some like old school bad blood Big East matchups on Christmas Day. UConn, Villanova, um, Creighton, UConn, even Providence there. I would like any of those matchups. Make it prime time. Why not? Yeah, make it fun. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I think that's gonna. That's enough looking back. Let's get to the prime focus of this one, and that's Georgetown. That's what we brought you on here, Zach. You've been covering them all year long. Uh, I, I, I would argue, and we're gonna we're gonna have a story come out on uh, New Year's Eve here, where we're gonna have the top moments, top stories, the biggest things that have happened in the Big East this year. I on college basketball, CBS Sports did this. And one of their top stories was just Georgetown as a whole. And what has happened to this program in the year 2022. Before we get to the actual team, I would ask Zach, as a media person, what is it like that's in this position right now? Yeah, so I would describe it like this. I've, I've My whole life, I don't know why, I've never been a fan of roller coasters. Um, <laughs> Park, I've never really been one that likes getting on them or riding them. I don't like the up and down. It's uncomfortable. Uh, I can't believe people pay for that. Um, that's what it's like covering this team. Um, and really, it is it is a roller coaster. You do not know what they're going to look like night in, night out. Um, opening night, they host Coppin State. They go to overtime and barely squeak one out. A few weeks later, they play American at home. It's a it's a DC matchup. American is ten minutes away, and American beats them for the first time in forty years. Um, I mean, it's been like that all season long. The very next game, they go to play Texas Tech on the road in Lubbock. They're down by twenty eight. They come back and cut it to a one point game, and, and end up losing at the very end. And just this past week, they are historical underdogs on the road at number two UConn and then have a seven-point lead in the second half before losing by 11. Um, it's been all over the road. They're 5-8 and eight on the year. They're 0-2 um, in the Big East. They are 0 for their last 22 in the Big East Conference. They haven't won a conference game, of course, since the Big East title game in 2021. Um, with all that said, that streak could end tomorrow, um, and I think it's really a 50-50 shot that it will. Um, they're at DePaul. They're in Chicago tomorrow. It's one of the more winnable games they've got on the schedule left. Um, but again, I have no idea what Georgetown team is going to come out tomorrow. If it's the team that played American on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, it's not going to be good. If it's the team that played UConn last week, they're probably going to beat DePaul by 15 or more. 
it just depends and you have no idea so it's been a roller coaster night in night out yeah and it's, uh, it seems like it's been more valleys than peaks with this roller coaster yeah. too and yeah. yeah at 656 days since georgetown's last big east win that counter just keeps on going up uh, from having your your front row seat there to cover the game and actually get to see this team in person is there anything that stands out to you about what they're doing on the court that's a consistent theme as to why they've struggled like this? Definitely. Um, I mean, it's year six under Patrick Ewing now. Um, and I feel like, I mean, in talking and in working with some of the media folks that have been there covering Georgetown for years, for decades, um, it, it's, it, they're not defending. Um, and mainly they're, they're not defending the three point arc. There's a lack of consistent hustle on the defensive end in terms of grabbing rebounds, blocking out, that sort of thing. Just like some basic fundamental stuff um, that doesn't make sense on the defensive side of the basketball. Um, And looking at the stats and really just top to bottom, they're 344th in the country in points allowed per game. There's 14 teams in college basketball that are worse than Georgetown at allowing points per game. and so it's really not much more complicated than that. This team can score. They can play, and they're pretty fun to watch. But they can't defend yeah. um, consistently, and that's been the biggest glaring issue. Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah. And it's, it's rough. Tommy, I know you have some questions here. I have one more that I'm going to let you get yours in. Um, one of the things on a positive note that stood out to me about looking at the Georgetown roster is the fact that they've got guys that can score, and they're basically all young. And it feels like this is the third or fourth, maybe fifth time we've been saying this about Georgetown, that, well, they have talent. And if they can keep it, they can build on it and turn it into something else here, regardless of who the coach is next. Well, I think that's a whole other question about who the coach is going to be <laughs> next year. Let's say it isn't the same coach. Do you think there's talent on the team that can be built upon to turn this Georgetown team around? Definitely. Um, there's no question. I mean, we forget that this team is entirely made up of transfers. Almost none of these guys were around last year. There's maybe two or three that are back. Um, and they've played 13 games together. That's all in all, not that many. And yet they're still meshing. All five starters have never played together coming into the season. They're still just getting their feet under them. Um, and these guys can play. I mean, Primo Spears is one of the better guards, I think in the entire Big East conference. I think he could start on a lot of teams in this conference. Um, and so, 100%. I mean, yes, you're right. The coaching question is a whole other story that's much more complicated than will he or won't he. Um, but yeah, I think that to answer your question, there there absolutely is talent that can be built upon. It would be more of a question of can they retain the talent if there's a coaching switch? That's a whole other argument as well. Well, I think the, I think, yeah, the question is can you retain the talent either way? I mean, we just right. saw Dante Harris leave for Virginia. Yeah. He's not even going very far. And yeah. there's been, I mean, this team had um, uh, Amina Muhammad last year, couldn't mm-hmm. keep him. They had guys that could have come back, had an extra COVID year that opted not to come back. And you go back before that, there were some guys that left this program that probably deserved to leave this program and were right to be kicked out. But there's a trend here where the guys are just not staying. And it's hard to build a program when guys aren't there year after year. But and, and, and that's the responsibility of the guy at the top. Yeah, and, and one of the more interesting uh, – notes in college basketball in terms of an individual player's story. Cutis Wahab, his story is so unique and so interesting to be at Georgetown as a freshman and then to transfer just up the road to College Park um, and goes to Maryland for a year, only to come back after Mark Turgeon is fired to be replaced by Kevin Willard. He's back at Georgetown now, which is an interesting story to me because if you're a a starting center, especially in in college basketball, who better to learn from than Patrick Ewing? Um, and so I think it makes a lot of sense to, for him to want to come back and to also recognize, I don't know if I want to say a mistake, but just like a lesson that he learned as far as like someone he can learn for, because say what you will about Patrick Ewing, but I would say as, as a big man, there's probably no one better to learn from than, than Ewing. Yeah. And it's by all accounts, a great person to a great person to learn from on and off the court. Um, Dana O'Neill's book about the Vic East was glowing about he and John Thompson and all of that as individuals. Yeah. So yeah, Tommy, I know you have, you have some fun questions here, so I'll, I'll let you have, have the floor. All right. I do. I do. I like that. Thank you for the intro. A lot of fun <laughs> questions for you. Um, the first one, the kicker, not the kicker, but the first one, one word describe Patrick Ewing. Inconsistent. I like that. 
I like yeah, that a lot. Fair. There seems my my second answer would be legend. <laughs> I, that's my... where I thought you were going to go with the first answer. <laughs> my answer was going to be just large. It depends. <laughs> it de- it de- he is big, man. He's big. If it it depends on if you're asking as the the player or the coach, man. I mean, God, as a player, there's no one better in Georgetown history. The only other argument you could make would be Allen Iverson, uh, in my opinion, but. As far as yeah. coach, inconsistent player, he's a legend. I like that. I like that a lot. And I like your, your answer too, Matt. Large. Thank you. <laughs> player and coach. Man. He's still large. Um, <laughs> no, but I was doing some research on Georgetown a little bit earlier. I know, doing research for once. Um, <laughs> but Aiden Curran of Hilltop Hoops uh, was quoted in a Washington Post article. Uh, he said the relationship between the men's basketball program and both the student body and the alumni base is broken. Do you agree with that statement? And if you do, how would you fix it? Certainly feels like it. Um, yeah, there's no, there's no question that, that, that that's how it feels. Um, the solution, um, I think you have to scrap it if you want a solution. Um, I, I don't know that I mean, besides Georgetown, running the table uh, the rest of the way. Winning solves all problems. Um, sure. Of course it does, but I, I'm just being realistic. Um, if you're going to go from not winning a conference game in a calendar year and you're going to reel off a bunch of wins and or do whatever they need to do to, to win back the fans that way, that doesn't seem possible to me. And so the other solution would be to just scrap it and start over um, with a new coach and a new program, um, new program direction, I should say. Um, but We'll see. I don't know how close they are to that. That's the question. I mean, it feels like it could happen if they lose tomorrow. It feels like that they might go the rest of the season and still not do it. I just don't. I don't think anyone truly knows. Um, and so that's also kind of scary in its own way as far as, like, I don't even know if they have a clear answer. And it's it's gotten about as bad as it could possibly get, you would think. So I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. What a depressing segment. It was a very thoughtful answer. It's interesting in its own way, though. You know, I mean, it's fun to cover the good team. I've had plenty of time like covering good teams. It's pretty fun to go the other direction. And and I'll say this. They may not be winning, but they are entertaining every night. They're entertaining. So (laughs) I'll give them that. Yeah, I mean, the shots that Primo Spears makes just just have no right going in. And they don't even touch the ring. It's incredible. I got one last one for you. Uh, My favorite question of the night. Matt knows what's coming. Um, I don't know if (laughs) – I see you laughing over there. I don't know if you followed me on Twitter. I'm big into food as well. I have this series where I rank all the best food that I get at the Fenerim Pavilion covering Villanova. Now, you cover this Georgetown team. Um, You've covered them – I don't know how many games you've been to or how many stadiums, but just give me your best food item that you've ever had covering a basketball game. The fans need to know. Oh, okay. So this would be probably further back to my days covering Nebraska basketball when I was back in college. I've only been to three Georgetown games, so I don't know if I can give you a good enough answer on that. Um, One Maryland game as well. Um, so back in Nebraska, bear with me. I know you guys are from the East coast. I'm a Midwesterner. Um, it's a big Midwestern thing that I wasn't even aware of until I was in school, um, to do cinnamon rolls and chili. I've heard of this. Okay. Well, I have not. All right. Yeah. It's a whole like sweet and spicy thing. So you got I get that, but I'm. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. So, so you don't like dip them. Well, unless you're insane. Some people dip them in. I would never. <laughs> That's a rare thing to see. Most people, but yeah, it's like the sweet and savory combo. So you have like a bite of a cinnamon roll. You have a scoop of chili. Honestly, don't knock it till you try it. I was pretty skeptical as well, but it was pretty good. It it doesn't shock me given that I've made plenty of chili in my day. And my dad actually, shout out to my dad who makes a, an award-winning chili that is fantastic. But there's you got to put sugar or like a little bit of cinnamon or something in it while you're making it to bring out the flavors and the complement and cut down on stuff. And you also have you always have starch with chili. You always have some kind of bread or something. Yeah. So it makes sense to put these things together. Yeah, I don't know if this is like a Nebraska thing or a Midwest thing, 
I don't know, but I'm, I'm glad that at least one of you had heard of it. Otherwise, I was just going to be facing a really tough <laughs> crowd there. So I'm glad I got some sort of positive feedback yeah. on that one. Now, so just to clarify, it's just the... like a, a ahead, bowl Tommy. of chili with cinnamon rolls on the side and you just kind of one bite, one bite? Sure. Yeah, everyone's got their own strategy. That's usually my That's usually my call. Okay. I didn't know if it was like a cinnamon roll topped with chili. I know you put on spaghetti down in like Cincinnati, Cincinnati or whatever that is. I wasn't Whoa. sure. Yeah. The skyline yeah. chili with the yeah. That's a whole skyline chili's gross, by the way. Yeah, I was I was just in Cincinnati and I chose to avoid. So might as well bypass <laughs> that. Tommy, I think eventually doing this show, we're gonna have to try a food from each one of these places. So we might have to get some skyline chili. We might have to get the cinnamon rolls and chili and Apparently it's it's something in Chile in every one of these places. So I don't know what it's going to look like everywhere else. But they ship yeah. it. They ship Skyline Chile in cans. So we'll uh, now, we'll get our people. Do they, on that. Now, do they do this at the media stuff, or is this just something you would have at the games in general? Media. Wow. Yeah, I don't know how they would serve that at to like a, as a concession. I think that would just be a logistical nightmare. Well, so oh, I, I didn't know if it was it. a tailgating thing that they would do, but uh... yeah, no, I've, I've only had it as it. So that's actually, I didn't even know it, it's this combo existed until a media meal. And I was like, what wow. is this? And <laughs> like, and yeah, everyone looked at me as if I was like, I'm like, no, like I'm from Omaha. Like I've lived here my whole life. And they're like, I've never heard of it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Wait, this is all a big prank. Yeah, that's, that's kind of how it feels sometimes with some food around there. But God. yeah, I, I will say while we're talking food at Georgetown, I went to a Providence Georgetown game to cover it back in college 2018. And um, it was an early afternoon game. It was a noon game. So they had breakfast as the media spread. And it was delicious. I'll tell you how much it was gourmet eggs and all kinds of various treats you could have. I was I was impressed. I still remember it. So that tells you it was good. Yeah, the, the wow. spread at Capital One is a professional professional setup. I mean, it's the home of the Caps and the Wizards, so they got to go all yeah. out. Yeah. Any other good foods from the other sports you've covered, or is it? Have you been to anything else live, or is it just college basketball? Just Can we turn this into a, a food podcast. <laughs> it's heading that yeah, direction. I, yeah. I'm down. I will say I've I've only gone to Georgetown and to Maryland so far this year. Georgetown greater yeah. than Maryland. Um, I'm going to throw George Washington into the mix soon as well. We'll see what they can nice. do. Um, but so far, so good. No complaints. I like it. I like it. I like it. Uh, before we – we're going to talk about the specifics of this Georgetown-DePaul game. But to wrap up just talking about Georgetown here, I, we're going to have to put you on the spot with a with a definitive answer here. Is Patrick Ewing the head coach of Georgetown basketball next season? No. You don't think no, so? I, 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 I I think that if you, what does it say to your program if you, let's say, like win three conference games in two years, and we're gonna stick, we're gonna stick with this. And guy that might be optimistic, for a, right? And we're gonna stick with this guy for a seventh season. Like as far as the earlier question of, you know, we've lost the student body, we've lost the support of the alumni base. Do you think you're gonna get it back by keeping the same, keep rolling with the same thing that you that you've been rolling with? I mean, there's no way. I mean. To go along with that, though, they're they're in a bit of a predicament. Patrick Ewing makes just under $4 million a year. If they let him go either during the season or at the end of the season, they owe him um, about $11.5 million, which is not nothing. Georgetown has a good endowment, and they make it's not a, it's not a poor school by any any stretch, but that's a lot of money. And so there's, there's a lot of other um, factors at play here, not to mention that he's – the best player from the best Georgetown team of all time. Um, that is obviously a huge factor of the 83 team or the 84 team, I should say, uh, that won the whole yeah. thing. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of factors at play, but the gist of it is, no, I don't think he can be the coach next season. Yeah, I think you got to find a way to get him out. I mean, you just, especially now that you're at the point where you're giving away free tickets. It's your Georgetown, you can't do that two years in a row and look yourself in the mirror as a program. And that game where they did the free uh, tickets to DC residents um, was, oh I God. believe, the, the lowest attended game of the season. Um, to be fair, it was a Wednesday night game against Siena, um, so it was a it was a light crap. Yeah, but hey, and you know what? Georgetown won that game, right? They did. They did win. Not that something game. Seton Hall can say. Seton Hall did not beat Siena this year. <laughs> So you're always out here catching strays. 
you know, circle the calendar when Georgetown Seton Hall play that game. Oh, that'll be an interesting one. That might be a battle of which, uh, which coach hates their team more. <laughs> My money's on the team. Yeah, always. I want us to get. I want to get him mic'd up in the future. Oh my God. That that has to happen. He and Dan Hurley I'll pay for this. Seton Hall UConn game mic'd up. Let it happen. The universe think, might combust, but it's got to be like a liability issue. I don't think they can do that. <laughs> they might have to broadcast it on HBO, or just like significant tape delay. <laughs> Did you see Dan Hurley tonight? Um, what uh, what hot, happened? You hot mic. They just there was one foul call, and granted, it wasn't a foul, but UConn fans can cry me a fucking river at this point. <laughs> the RJ Cole call last year, I don't want to hear that. But um, Slater leaned into Sonogo on a three point attempt, and it wasn't a foul. You pan over to Dan Hurley, you're an effing clown, you're an effing clown, dude. I kid you not, at least 10 times. Calling the ref an effing clown just right to his face. Didn't get teed up. Don't know how, but it was amazing. <laughs> and uh, the the, the announcers were talking about it. The I think it was Raf. He was like, "Oh, I think uh, I think Dan Hurley sees someone with a nice red nose behind the the table or something like that." Because <laughs> he kept saying "clown." It was uh, hilarious. That that was fantastic. That's what the Big East is all about, right there at its core. Yelling at officials, I feel yeah, like. Shout that. out James Breeding. He's always catching yeah. strays on this on this show. Oh, they're not they're not strays. Those are carefully aimed. <laughs> <laughs> right out. That's yeah. a top twenty five right. ref, Matt, according to Ken Palm. Apparently, apparently. All right, let's look ahead a little bit here. We got a couple games rounding out the twenty twenty two calendar year, which is crazy that we're at the end of this now. We're going to start with. The Georgetown game tomorrow night, Thursday night here. Zach, Georgetown, DePaul. This is the 8 p.m. Eastern tip on Fox Sports 2. It gets the, it gets the demotion down to Fox Sports 2 there. That's what I think is a, this should be a competitive game. It should be an entertaining game. High quality? I don't know about that. But I think it'll be entertaining <laughs> to watch. Who do you think comes out on top? And uh, if it is Georgetown, what are they going to have to do to break the streak? Well, I like the over because Georgetown's playing. Um, so um, love that for sure. No, I mean, you're, you're right. I mean, these are the only two teams in the Big East that are um, below 500 overall. Um, and so when these teams, these types of teams that are in the, in the basement of any conference go head to head, they know that this is one of their better chances to get a win. Um, and for Patrick Ewing, it's as desperate as it gets. Um, Georgetown's coming off a game where, we say no moral victories, and after the game, Patrick Ewing and Primo Spears were almost beaming um, with excitement as far as um, how like joyful they were of how close they played UConn, which, like, fair. No one expected them to do that. Um, but let's just see how they come out against DePaul. This is a game that's it's easy to be a little bit sleepy for it. They're going on the road. They're playing against a team that's – it's they're not UConn. It's a, the UConn game is a much easier game to get up for than this one. Let's put it that way. So – we talk about the roller coaster ride that is Georgetown basketball. They've been inconsistent all year. Um, the trend would say that they'll fall flat in this one. I don't think that will happen. Um, I think that they'll play DePaul pretty tight and pretty well, um, and it's going to be probably pretty close the whole way. In order to snap the streak, um, play, they got to play better defense. It's really not much more difficult than that. It's got to come down to the defensive side of things. And can they get the stops when it matters in the UConn game? They started making everything the last five minutes and Georgetown could not get those stops. Um, and so you, you need what you need, what you need every night out of Primo Spears and Brandon Murray. And um, I, as I, as I have about half the games this year, it feels like a 50, 50 shot to me if Georgetown's going to get the win here or not, but um, that's how a lot of their games feel. Coins yeah. gotta land on the right side one of these times. Feels yeah, like it, it keeps landing on tails. So one of these times you gotta figure yeah. it's gonna land the other side up. Exactly. Yeah. Tommy, what do you think about this one? Yeah, I mean, it's not just Georgetown. I mean, both of these teams are sputtering coming into this one. They're both on a three game losing streak. Um, Georgetown averages less than 70 points on the road, even though they are good offensively. Um, but DePaul is good at home. They've won four of their last five games at home. They average over seven steals per game at home, which is kind of crazy to me, and Georgetown tends to turn it over often. 
Um, these are two good offenses, bad defenses. DePaul's four-point betting favorites, six-point favorites on Ken Palm. Uh, give me, give me, give me DePaul on this one. This is, I, it's crazy when you look through the Ken Palm sheets for both of these teams. DePaul has one win over a team in the top Ken Palm, Ken Palm top 150. Georgetown has one win over a team in the top 200, and that's 199 Siena there. So these teams are just not beating good teams. And they're, they're both – Georgetown's at 167 right now when we do this. DePaul's at 124. DePaul feels like the better team and is at home, but I'm going with Georgetown here because DePaul – like DePaul's losses to Duquesne and Northwestern are bad, like really bad. This is a team on short rest – Look at this. DePaul's schedule has the team playing on Christmas, then during the week, and then on New Year's Day against Providence. This is a brutal schedule for DePaul. I think they're going to get a little bit worn down. I think they've been playing worse ball, even though Georgetown's been on a losing streak here. I'm saying the streak ends at 657 days for a Big East win, and Georgetown's going to get this one. I like it. I like it. I realized I did not throw in a prediction at all in, in, in my in my <laughs> breakdown for that. Um, I'm going to counter Matt and say I'd be, I think, as, as much as I am hoping Georgetown can maybe end that streak, I'd be crazy to pick a team that's lost 22 conference games in a row. Um, until until they do, I, I'll believe it when I see it. Um, but yeah. before that, I like to pull it home. Um, I noticed that that home, that home record as well. Um, anytime you go on the road in the Big East, it's it's not easy. I like to ball. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, yeah, we'll see what happens with this one. That's the, the late game Thursday night, the early game Thursday night is the Friars Providence Friars heading up to Hinkle to face Butler. This will be six 30 PM Eastern on FS one. Uh, I actually, I talked about this with Rose of the gardens, Michael DeRosa on our Providence podcast earlier today. So if you want a little, the Butler perspective on it, you can go uh, listen to that one. The Friars, the little history of the Friars ended the Laval Jordan era at Butler and the Big East tournament last year. Al Durham hitting a shot at the end. They came back from down 19 the last time they played at Butler. This is kind of like a, it's not a rivalry. These teams have played some strangely close games recently and some strangely important games recently. Tommy, I'll start with you. How do you think this one ends up going? So Ken Palm actually has Butler winning this one, 73 to 71. And, I like that little plug of the flex. I actually did listen to that earlier. Um, it was a great episode. MD the Dream is just a psychopath, and we love it. <laughs> um, no, but he in the podcast he did say if Butler's not hitting their shots, they're not going to win this game, and I'm just going to echo that from the mountaintops. He couldn't be more right. The Friars' three-point defense is bad, but it's not like Butler can do anything about it because they can't shoot threes either. Um, I got a question for you, Matt. Is this a must-win for Butler? I think it might be the right. the way the Butler schedule lines up. You have to take advantage of your opportunities at home because you can't get in a hole here. They got a really rough schedule to start Big East play. You don't want to dig that. And this is one of those games that is winnable, even though you're probably playing a better team. You can win it. I think you've got to take the opportunity while it's there. Um, I don't. Th- I don't think that necessarily means it happens. So I took the Friars in this one. Yeah, I I think I am too. I th- they're just the better team. Um, the Bulldogs are just too inconsistent shooting-wise for me to feel comfortable about picking them. They're not great rebounding. Croswell mm-hmm. is for Providence, especially on the offensive glass. Uh, I'm going to go with Providence as well on this one. Zach, what are your thoughts? I see very contrasting stats when you look at these teams, especially more consistently or more recently, I should say. Um, Providence has scored 90 or more in three of their last four, and Butler is allowing low 60s in points per game. Um, So something's got to give here. I like Butler at home just due to desperation um, and just because the Big East is crazy um, (laughs) and Hinkle magic. Um, It's a thing. It's real. That's a very legit home court advantage. Granted, it's Christmas break, but um, I mean, they need the win, and Providence is riding the high of an overtime win over Marquette. I just think that that momentum is is a real thing that goes up and down, it ebbs and flows, and I like Butler in this one. 
Yeah, Butler needs this win a lot more than Providence does. I'll tell you yeah. that much. If, if you're the Friars and you lose this one, I don't think it hurts you that much as long as you win at DePaul on New Year's Day. As long as you take care of business there, what happens in this one probably doesn't affect you too much. Down the road, I will say, Butler's next game after this one, they travel to D.C. to take on Georgetown on New Year's Day. So I think that'll be another interesting one to see where these programs are at that point. But that's next year. We can't look too far ahead <laughs> right now. Uh, let's, let's look ahead to New Year's Eve. Before you guys get to your New Year's Eve parties, before you get to the college football playoffs, there's a couple early games here to get you guys started to put on while you're getting ready for the rest of your day. And it starts with the game we voted as the game of the week at noon. It gets the national window on Fox, and that's UConn at Xavier. That's two teams that we saw play tonight. Xavier scrapes a win out. On the road at St. John's, UConn picks up the win at home against Villanova. Holds on to that one. Zach, we'll come back to you here. How do you think this one goes, and what are you looking forward to in it? Yeah, I mean, this is just a clash of the Titans. These are two of the better teams in the conference. I mean, when you look at the Big East overall, it's probably these two plus Creighton plus Villanova um, are probably the four that everyone would say one of those and, and four Marquette. is going to wind up at the top. And and Marquette so far, for sure. Um it's early for them. It's early, and they're young. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Xavier's got a hell of a home court advantage. Cintas Center is no joke. They are on a streak right now. Xavier's got a really good team. They share the basketball. Sean Miller has his team um, in great form. But um, like you were kind of referencing earlier, Matt, UConn has quite the stretch of games here. Um, I think they're going to drop one of them. I don't think it's mm -hmm. this one. Um, I think they go to 15-0, and 0 and they have a chance to be the number one team in the country come the rankings on Monday. I will I'll, I'll counter. I have another question for you here. So you think UConn goes to number one with a win. If Xavier ends up pulling out a win on this one, where do they go in the rankings? They should fly up the rankings, right? I mean, I would think so. I mean, what are they right now? Are they 22? They could get up to high teens, I would think. Yeah. They, they'd probably have an eight-spot eight, eight spot jump at least would be my guess. Yeah, that's what I think. Tommy, how do you think this one goes? They're going to be two very good offenses going up against each other. Um, Nanji's range, I think, is going to be a nightmare for Sonogo. I mean, we saw it tonight with Dixon stretching out not only Sonogo, but Klingon as well outside of the paint. Going to open up a lot of those lanes. Uh, Colby Jones and Sule Boom are going to take advantage of that. Um, UConn's defense is much better than Xavier's. That's the only... Thing. I'm giving UConn a definitive uh, advantage on, but I think if if Nunji and Fremantle can stretch out some of these UConn bigs a little bit, it, it's going to be another one of those games where someone else is going to have to step up for UConn. I don't know how much longer they can keep doing this. I, I like Xavier at home here. I'm going with UConn on this one only because I think Xavier isn't a paper tiger. Like that's a legitimately good team. But also, they got taken to the to the brink there by Seton Hall at home. They could not close out St. John's the way I think people thought they'd be able to. I think Sean Miller is doing a really good job with this group. I just think there's certain limits with the personnel they have. This, to me, feels like a team that's in the 20, the 20 to 30 range of teams in the country and not a team that's at the top. They can beat UConn. I think UConn is more complete, though. And I think they play similar styles, but UConn is just better at it. And that makes it an uphill battle for Xavier to actually win the game. I think that's going to be really tough for them. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to take UConn on this one. I think it'll be close, but definitive I'm taking UConn. Xavier yeah, basically man. plays nothing but close games. Um, their, win, <laughs> their, their wins and their losses. Um, so I think if there's one thing, we can assume that, that Xavier is going to be in a close one. That's for sure. Yeah, that sounds about right. And especially the UConn we've seen here in conference play. They're making it closer than you'd think in some of these, too. Sure. Yeah. So these are these are two teams we're talking about right there that are kind of on the upswing, the two ranked teams in the Big East, going on at the same time on Fox Sports 1. It's going to be a game between two, uh, two teams that are not trending in the right direction, and that is St. John's and Seton Hall here. And before we get into this preview, uh, there's two things here. One, I don't know if either one of you are were in this the other night. Last night, uh, there was a Seton Hall fan Twitter space oh my going God. on last night. Were you in this, Tommy? I was for a little bit. 
Zach, I don't know if you jumped in this at all. I missed it. It was uh let's just say we all know fans don't have the most rational reactions <laughs> to their teams losing. And this was a, a complete meltdown uh of a reaction to what was going on with the Seton Hall loss there. Uh, and it's kind of kind of earned there with what the team has done. A lot of frustration in the Seton Hall fan base heading into Saturday's game. Now, I also want to read you. I just got this while we're doing the show. I just got a DM. I'm going to leave the account unnamed here. But I'll read you a section of the DM that I got. This is from a St. John's fan. It starts, Matt, I am numb right now. This team has no direction. There's no accountability or strategy. Um yeah, I watched Fremantle Nunji get everything in the paint. I can, without a doubt, say that Miller knew to go inside against us because against Nova, those guys would just back us in and get easy layups. I really think something needs to change. That's the state of these two fan bases right now. I don't think either either group is happy with what they're getting from their teams, which makes this a very interesting battle. It's the two New York teams, both teams that are underperforming. I think both teams kind of need a win to keep their – not to keep the tournament hopes alive, but to get going in that direction here. You can't really afford to lose this game and feel good about your tournament hopes at this point. So there's a lot of drama in this one. It's a very interesting game. This is going to be a very pressing game to watch. Um, <laughs> Ken Palm has Seton Hall winning. I don't. Um, Seton Hall's defense is very good, but these are two very scrappy teams. I think Posh and Curbelo can do a good job of taking Kadari Richmond out of the offense, and that is their whole offense. Seton Hall's offense is abysmal. It's bad. It's really bad. So you take Kadari Richmond out of that, it's a wrap. I like Seton Hall, or I'm sorry, I like St. John's in this one. I think Joel Soriano is going to have like a 20 and 10 game, like 10, 2015, something like that, something crazy. What do you think, Zach? I like St. John's as well. Um, I, I think in terms of, of the fan bases and where these teams are, are at overall, um, it, it's it's similar as far as this particular season, but in terms of outlook, I don't know how, how similar it is. I mean, I think Seton Hall is in a, in a pretty good position to have success, maybe not this year, but beyond. Um, I, I do trust in the Shaheen Holloway experiment, if you will, to bring back the native son from from St. Peter's. So we'll see how it goes. Obviously it's off to a little bit of a rocky start and their offense is really tough. They won a game this year when scoring 45 points. So that's all you really need to know. Um, But I, in this game particular, yeah, I I like St. John's and the New York battle. So I actually, I like Seton Hall in this one, mostly because I think Seton Hall's coaching is better. I don't think it was a very flattering picture of Mike Anderson that we saw tonight. Uh, the, the kind of lack of coaching adjustments there. And the, 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 there were a number of tweets about this from a lot of the roads of the garden. People know I was saying this, Mike DeRosa was talking about it. Lawrence Kramer was talking about it, how it seemed like every time, like whenever they would cut to Mike Anderson, it was always just him yelling, move, move, move or something along those lines. He cut to Sean Miller and it's X's nose and diagrams and telling the players what to do. And I thought that was a big difference there. Shaheen Holloway's had issues getting, I think, buy-in from his players and the consistent effort. So that's concerning. But at the same time, it's a Seton Hall defense that has been really, really up and down when they can't force turnovers. And they're going to force turnovers against Seton Hall. But if there's anything Seton Hall's offense needs right now, it's clear lanes to the basket, with Saint, which is what St. John's has been given up. I think they're going to be able to slash on that. I think Kadaria Richmond's going to have plenty of opportunities if this game is played in space. And I think... Seton Hall is a longer team, a tougher team, a better defensive team, and you'll end up with a high-scoring, close game that'll slow down at the end, and then that's when the defenses will take over, and that's where Seton Hall is going to win it. I think the Pirates take this one. I like that. That's a that was well thought out, Matt. Look at you, man. <laughs> we just the clock just struck midnight on the East Coast, and you're out here just cranking out stats. <laughs> this one, this is what we love in a podcast host, man. But yeah. I don't know. I, I, I like Seton Hall, but I, nothing would surprise me in this game. A blowout either way or a close game either way. Nothing would surprise me here. Hey, for, 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 sorry, go ahead, Matt. No, no, you're all you. I was just going to completely derail the subject and say for what it's worth, uh, St. Peter's is definitely missing Shaheen. Um, 
I, I just saw the Peacocks play in person against Maryland last week. Um, they did not look very good. I believe they finished with the same amount of shots as total turnovers. So yeah. they're missing never where you want to be. Too. Yeah, yeah they missed a lot of players. players. Yeah, yeah. Basically, side note, Casey and Defo is a lot of fun to watch for Seton Hall. He is very physical and chirpy. And go to that game against Marquette earlier this week. They were getting into it with each other. There was a, a moment there where the mic very clearly caught Cam Jones replying to uh, Casey and Defo to say, "Watch your effing mouth." Um, and that's that's a familiar theme for both of these teams. So we might the next time they play each other, Seton Hall Marquette, we might get some ejections. That's that's the, where that's at with those two coaches and the way they like to play. And I love that about them. Like you said, clock struck midnight, so we're going to get you out of here with one more preview. We're talking about Marquette. They're going on the road here to play Villanova. Do I have that right, or is it at, at Marquette? Oh, it's at Villanova. It's at Nova. Yeah. I think this is a really interesting game. This actually got my vote for game of the week, which I think is a little bit off. off. It's different there, but this feels like two teams right in the middle of the pack in the Big East with hopes of moving right on up. These are teams at the high end of the middle of the pack or the bottom of that top tier, however you want to decide it. And these teams had some good games last year. I like the coaching battle. Tommy, we'll come to you in a second. Zach, I'll let you start off our final segment here. What do you think about this? I feel like it's interesting where these teams are at and that I feel like they're in opposite positions of where we thought they might be in terms of record um, at this point, which is really interesting to me. The fact that this game is in Philly – um, it's at the little place right it's on campus at Nova. That's a, such a hard place to play, especially for a young team. And Marquette Villanova's got this one, I think. Um, similar story to the St. John's game that the Villanova had um, not too long ago. I think that it's it's Nova by double digits. Tom, that's what we like to hear. Um, but yeah, I mean, this week, like from Wednesday on, there's a lot of games of teams that are in very similar positions. It goes Georgetown, DePaul, um, Villanova, Marquette. And you get the idea. St. John's, yeah. And UConn yeah. Xavier, the two ranked teams. Exactly. Exactly. And these are two more good offenses, two top 15 offenses. I think that this is a must win game for Nova. And you look at your schedule coming up here. There's a lot of winnable games. This is time to go streaking. If you want to make the tournament, if you want to be that eight seed that does what North Carolina did next year, you it needs to start now. They got Marquette on Saturday, and they got Georgetown, Xavier, DePaul, Butler, Georgetown again, St. John's, Providence, Marquette. This is a stretch of games. You can't afford to drop four or five of these games. You gotta you gotta win, and you gotta win now. And I like Villanova in this game. 70 points is going to be the sweet spot for Villanova. Marquette isn't great on the road. Um, on average, Villanova's letting up 60 points at the Finneran Pavilion this year. They've never allowed more than 70 this year. Um, so when Villanova plays teams that are around Marquette's defensive efficiency in Kempom, they score anywhere from 67 to 77 points. I like Villanova in this one. Um, I, I think Eric Dixon's going to continue his path of rage on smaller bigs in the Big East, and and I also like Villanova by 5 to 10 in this one. I think this is really interesting because when you play Marquette, they're so good at home, you can never bank on getting a win up at Fiserv, you don't want to be in a position where you need that win. So you, you want to win the home games when Marquette comes to visit you. Uh, we just saw Villanova be at a team that also likes to play up-tempo in press in St. John's, but this, I think, is a better coached version of that. So it's, a, it's that test that Villanova just got from St. John's, but then leveled up in what it likes to do. It's also, this is the battle of the scrappy white guards, in the Big East, Tyler Kolek and Chris Archidiakono there going back and forth. <laughs> Which I think Chris Archidiakono is actually going to have a huge role here. He needs to be very disciplined with the ball in this one. Same goes for Mark Armstrong. Same goes for Caleb Daniels because Marquette's going to try to force turnovers. And I think that's kind of the name of the game here. If Marquette forces turnovers, they're going to win. And it's going to be a little bit tough for Villanova falling back to 500 here. I think Villanova does need to win this one. I'm going to pick Villanova, but a Marquette upset. Would not surprise me here. Not one bit. No. Yeah, I could also see a Marquette upset. Just to echo what Zach said, it's 
so hard to play in the fin. Marquette was the last team to win in the fin, but uh, it doesn't happen often. So give me no. Can they make it two in a row at the fin? No, that would be crazy. Streaking that? No, no. At old Texas, somebody clip this. If they if they do that, we might have to throw that as an honorable mention in our top moments of 2022. Marquette going undefeated at the fin. That would be crazy. I don't even want to hear that right now. I would say this that was so much more likely or would be more likely if Villanova would have won tonight. But Nova off a loss at home, it's not where you want to be. Yeah, I'm going to take Nova. I think that's going to wrap it up for us in this one. This is our last show of 2022. So uh, thank you guys, everybody, for tuning in. We will be back on Sunday. That is our plan. We still want to do our regular Sunday morning show before the, the Sunday games. So tune in for that one. Tommy and I are going to be bringing you some fun stuff. I know Tommy's got some fun stuff planned, some New Year's games to do here. So we're going to get into that. Zach, thank you so much for joining us. Let the people know where they can uh, where they can find you. Absolutely. Yeah, Matt, Tommy, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I'm uh... – on Twitter, Zach at DMV Sport or at Zach DMV Sports, um, and not just covering not just covering Georgetown. We're trying to keep it real and with all the DMV stuff. So five different college basketball teams keeps me very busy. Not to mention the Commanders, the Wizards, the Capitals, all of it. So yeah, you can find me there. Yeah, definitely go give him a follow. Follow us on Twitter at Road to the Garden as well to stay up to date. Subscribe wherever you're listening to this, and go give us a follow on YouTube if you'd like to see our faces. While you listen to us talk Big East hoops, again, that's going to do it for us. That's Tommy Godin and Zach Penrice. I am Matt St. Jean, and we will see you in 2023. Thanks for listening.